We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 310 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, May 9th, 2022. It is the day after Mother's Day, 2022. A happy belated Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. You know, it certainly did not feel like Mother's Day weekend over the weekend, at least in my area, our area, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, rainy and cold on Friday and Saturday. Dry, but still also cool on Sunday. I know that everyone complains about the weather, but seriously, is this spring not one of the worst springs weather-wise ever in the D.C. area? It feels like we've had far more colder days this spring than normal. And then knowing how things usually go in the D.C. area, we're going to go from temperatures being in the 50s to temperatures being in the 90s in like two weeks, okay? Zero transition period. Zero actual spring. Hopefully, we do get a true legitimate run of spring weather. We shall see. Uh, Well, we, during Mother's Day weekend, did have rookie minicamp for the commanders. Uh, Now, here were three notable things from Commander's Rookie Minicamp to me, okay? Number one, the head coach of our Commanders, Ron Rivera, he told the 2022 first-round pick of the Commanders, receiver Jahan Dodson, to skip Saturday's Rookie Minicamp practice so that he could attend his graduation at Penn State. Uh, That was nice, and that got a lot of run. Uh, Penn State's head football coach, James Franklin, put out a tweet regarding Ron giving Jahan Saturday off. Uh, Number two, among the many players at Commander's Rookie Minicamp was linebacker Stephen Davis Jr. Yes, son of former Redskins running back Stephen Davis. And number three, and this is my favorite thing, the Commander's 2022 fourth round pick, the Louisiana safety Percy Butler. Do you know (laughs) that he actually showed up at the commander's team facility for rookie minicamp with three suitcases, two of which were massive because he thought that he was going to be at the team facility or at least thought that he was going to have to be attending practices, workouts, and meetings at the team facility until June. He essentially thought that rookie minicamp 
was something that lasts for an entire month, not for a few days. We had this tweet from Commander's Insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington on Friday evening. Quote, got to ask Percy Butler about this photo. He showed up to the facility yesterday with three suitcases thinking he was going to be here until June. (laughs) Turns out there was a misunderstanding and he'll have the chance to go home this weekend. Lots of packing that'll go to waste. End quote. Well, good for Percy. He's not being held hostage at the team facility. Go figure. But how amazing is that? That this guy thought that he was required to stay at the team facility or required to stay someplace close to the team facility for a month. The rookie minicamp lasted for a month. No, Percy. Rookie minicamp is like two days, okay? Uh, You have an NFL Players Association. There are rules against holding you for a month like that, as he apparently thought was the case. Now, I guess it's possible that Butler did this as a joke, okay? I mean, I guess that is a possibility. Maybe he did this as a work, and he wants people to think that he really thought that rookie minicamp was like a month long just because he wants to come across as an eager beaver. I don't know. Or maybe this was just a genuine misunderstanding. But whatever the case... Uh, That was pretty funny. That's an all-timer. A guy thinking, or at least pretending to think, that rookie minicamp is like 30 days long. Well, hello and welcome to a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. My hope is for this episode of the podcast to be an all-timer. I can't promise you anything, but I'll do my best. Uh, We have a lot of commander's talk in which to engage. uh, Because over the course of the last few days, we have had a lot said by Ron Rivera and Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner, and Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio. In fact, the guy who said the most significant things was, in fact, Jack. Yeah, the guy who likes to talk the least said the most in terms of significance. Uh, You will hear Jack Del Rio reveal something about Washington's 2021 offseason that had not been previously revealed, and that, at least according to Jack, helps explain why Washington's pass defense last season was such a disappointment. This was very interesting. Trust me, you do not want to miss this. That's coming up next segment. Uh, Also, you will hear brutal honesty from Jack Del Rio on Jamin Davis and a lot more. Uh, You'll also hear Scott Turner talk Carson Wentz, including what Carson is bringing to Scott's offense. You'll hear Scott talk Sam Howell. You'll hear Scott talk Brian Robinson Jr., You'll hear Scott talk Cole Turner, no relation, Uh, and you'll also hear some good stuff from Rod Rivera. So lots to get into with the commanders on this installment of the podcast. Uh, Also on the show, the Capitals. What a win on Saturday afternoon, a 6-1 blasting of the Florida Panthers to take a 2-1 series lead in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I will discuss a tremendous performance by Ilya Samsonov. Could the Caps, might the Caps, be in the midst of engineering a shocking upset of the President's Trophy winning Panthers? Uh, Game four at Capital One Arena will go down on Monday night at seven. I will talk Nationals. Painful loss for them on Sunday. A 5-4 walk-off loss At the Los Angeles Angels, Tanner Rainey, first blown save of the season, gave up three runs in the bottom of the ninth, including a walk-off RBI single to the ex-Nat Anthony Rendon in his first series against his former team. You cannot make this stuff up. Uh, The Nats 
ended up losing two or three games in the series. And I'll talk Orioles, uh, their weekend series against the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, marred by two rainouts. Uh, we did have a doubleheader split on Sunday, during which the O's got more good starting pitching from Jordan Lyles and Bruce Zimmerman and got more good hitting from Austin Hayes, who really seems to be blossoming as a batter. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Brian Wood off what I talked about on Friday's show, episode 309, that I am feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz for a variety of reasons, including comments from Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Ursay on the Pat McAfee show last Monday. Writes Brian, Al, I love you, but... How are you just having this realization now about Wentz? You and the rest of the media have been slow on the uptake. To say you wonder now if Jim Irsay made an impulsive owner decision about Wentz after the Jacksonville game is just plain old news. A major red flag for Wentz was that an impetuous, non-football, egotistical billionaire made an impulsive decision to fire a quarterback he hated for not getting vaccinated. Come on! The entire press world is down on Wentz. Bottom line, if he this coming season plays as well as he did for Indy last season, we will be a 10-win team. Uh, Thank you for the email, Brian. Uh, I would say (laughs) you are slightly misrepresenting what I said. Uh, The point of the segment on feeling better about the Carson-Wentz trade wasn't that I just now, all of a sudden, am realizing that the Colts trading Wentz may have been a function of an impulsive owner. I first talked about that possibility weeks ago. I've had multiple guests on the podcast talk about Jim Irsay having been a primary driving force in the Colts trading Wentz. The point of the segment was that the more that I dig on Wentz's 2021 season and the more that we find out about why exactly the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for Wentz, the more that I am encouraged. We now know things and have seen and heard things that we didn't know and hadn't seen and heard two months ago when the trade went down. Uh, Like when the trade went down, there were many thoughts and theories on the Carson Wentz Colts situation. And one of the thoughts slash theories was that the trade was a function of Jim Ursay being impulsive. Well, we now have actual evidence that Ursay, and not necessarily the Colts football people, drove the trading of Wentz, and that the motivation for the trade was that loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 18 as much as anything. Uh, Also, two things can be true. It can be true that the Colts may well have overreacted to that loss at Jacksonville in trading Wentz. It can also be true that there are major red flags with Wentz. I mean, there are red flags with Wentz. You're being naive if you don't at least admit that. Uh, As a Commanders fan, I am rooting hard for Carson Wentz. I am rooting hard for Commander Carson to succeed, but I'm also not just going to be like a sap and pretend like these red flags don't exist. And uh, I'm not calling Brian a sap, but I'm just saying that uh, I'm not going to be a sap, at least not in this situation. Maybe in other situations, I'm a giant sap, but in this situation, I'm trying not to be a sap. Uh, Email from Mike on my Carson Wentz segment from last Friday's show, writes Mike, great show. I admire your optimism with the trade and the draft. Nice to hear a positive voice, but I can't share your feelings. A lot would have to break right for this to work out. As the great Ken Beatrice used to say, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. Anyway, we shall see. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. I hear you. I tell you, there ain't no party 
like a party with candy and nuts. Always know that. But uh, bottom line for me with the Carson Wentz trade, uh, I still have concerns. I still have questions. I do think that there is an at least decent chance that the trade will not work out for the commanders. Uh, But yes, I am feeling better about the trade. Well, if you have been wronged, uh, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace will help to make you feel better. The law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. See what Paulson and Nace thinks of your situation and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. The phone number is 202-902-7611. You have nothing to lose. Call 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. One, one. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. As is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying, that you like the podcast, but the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. And I thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. So the Commanders, uh, they on Friday and Saturday conducted their two-day rookie minicamp. There's not much to talk about regarding who did what at the rookie minicamp and who looked like what at the rookie minicamp, but there is a lot to talk about regarding some things that have been said over the last few days. Uh, The commanders on Friday put out interviews that Julie Donaldson, the team's senior vice president of media and content, did with defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Also on Friday was the head coach of the commanders, Ron Rivera, doing a rookie minicamp press conference. So over the next two segments, I want to hit on the most significant things that were said by Ron, Scott, and Jack. Uh, Next segment, I'll talk Commander's offense. This segment, I'm going to talk Commander's defense. Because honestly, the best stuff that was said came from Jack Del Rio. Surprising, I know. (laughs) Because Jack does not like to talk, okay? But Jack was in rare form in his conversation with Julie Donaldson. Uh, She got quite a bit out of him. And I don't know if Jack was just in a chatty mood or if Jack just felt comfortable with Julie because she is 
an employee of the team and thus isn't looking to get Jack to say anything controversial or what, but Jack Del Rio, JDR, uh, gave us multiple notable items in this conversation with Julie Donaldson. And let's just get right to it. Let's start with the most notable item from Jack Del Rio. So the most disappointing thing about Washington last season, to me anyway, uh, was the team's pass defense, especially during the team's two and six start to the 2021 regular season. The pass defense over the first eight games of the 2021 regular season was terrible. Uh, was better over the final nine games of the 2021 regular season, but even over those final nine games were some terrible games for Washington's pass defense. Uh, Washington's pass defense in the 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys in week 16 was an embarrassment, got shredded by Dak Prescott. Uh, Washington's pass defense in the two losses to the Philadelphia Eagles, 27-17 at the Eagles in week 15 and 2016 to the Eagles at FedEx Field in week 17, got worked by Jalen Hurts, got hurt by Jalen Hurts. Uh, Washington for the 2021 regular season finished 28th out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense pro football outsiders DVOA metric and finished 31st out of 32 NFL teams in third down defense, what is lowest opponents third down efficiency, 48.5%. Washington in the 2021 regular season allowed opposing teams to go 111 of 229 on third downs. The biggest culprit in Washington's pass defense last season was the secondary. Yes, Chase Young and Montez Sweat had disappointing 2021 seasons. Chase more than Montez. But the play of the secondary was the biggest problem for Washington's defense last season. The secondary being a problem had to do with a lot of things, including Washington last season facing a bunch of good quarterbacks. But another reason was that Washington players last season pretty clearly were misused slash miscast. And I've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, William Jackson III, this past January 10th, in a season-ending Zoom press conference, said that he in the 2021 season was, quote, doing things that I never had done before, end quote. Uh, Kendall Fuller, earlier in the 2021 season, struggled playing nickel corner, then was better as the season went on playing more on the outside. Uh, Landon Collins, earlier in the 2021 season, was woeful in a traditional safety role, then was better as the season went on playing the Buffalo Nickel. Uh, these situations, to me, had been a big part of why Washington's secondary was not good for way too much of last season, especially when you look at the first eight games of Washington's 2021 regular season. Well, Jack Del Rio now has given us another reason for the secondary having struggled last season. Jack spoke with Julie Donaldson in this in-house commander's interview. You can watch the interview on the team's website and on the team's YouTube page. Uh, here was Jack to Julie on this time of year, you know, the off-season program, rookie minicamp, uh, that eventually OTA practices, that eventually the mandatory minicamp. Take a listen to this from Jack. To me right now, this time of year, I love this time of year. It's about developing. It's about establishing communication, system, understanding of the system. And I think, you know, with our whole secondary here and working, unlike last year, um, which was a problem, you know, uh, some of it showed during the course of the year. You know, I think right now we're having a strong offseason, uh, great participation. 
and really getting to teach, getting an understanding of what we do and how we do it so the guys can play fast on Sunday. All righty. Well, how about that from Jack Del Rio? Quote, with our whole secondary here and working, unlike last year, which was a problem, some of it showed during the course of the year. End quote. How about that from Jack? Uh, Jack clearly is not happy with a certain someone or certain someones for not attending at least some of the offseason program last offseason. Just to be clear, every NFL team's offseason features three types of actual practices, a rookie minicamp, OTA practices, and a mandatory minicamp. The rookie minicamp essentially only features rookies. The OTA practices in the mandatory minicamp feature all players on the team, but the OTA practices technically are voluntary. Now, the major absentees from Washington's OTA practices last offseason, at least as far as we knew, were Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Chase missed all of the OTA practices. Montez missed some of the OTA practices. As far as we knew, Washington's major defensive backs attended the team's OTA practices last offseason. And keep this in mind, Washington in the 2021 offseason only had two weeks of OTA practices, two batches of OTA practices, May 25th through the 27th and June 1st through the 3rd. That's it. Uh, So I'm not sure if Jack Dorio was saying that one or more of Washington's defensive backs did not attend at least some of the OTA practices last offseason, or if Jack was saying that one or more of Washington's defensive backs did not attend at least some of the team workouts and meetings last offseason. But he clearly was saying that he was not happy about one or more of Washington's defensive backs not attending something last offseason, even though the something was technically voluntary. And this is new information. You know, for all of the talk of Chase Young not attending OTA practices last offseason and Montez Sweat not attending some of the OTA practices last offseason, it turns out that, at least according to Jack Del Rio, one or more of Washington's defensive backs not attending at least some of the offseason program last offseason was a problem. Now, is this valid? Does this truly help to explain why Washington's secondary overall was a major disappointment last season? Or is Jack just making excuses for his defense having underachieved last season? Hard to say. I mean, how important these offseason workouts and practices truly are comes up every offseason. There is no true right answer to that question. But the fact that Jack Del Rio, in an in-house interview with Julie Donaldson, keep that in mind, felt compelled to bring up one or more of Washington's defensive backs not attending at least some of the offseason program last offseason is significant. Uh, Here was Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson on the next step for the commander's secondary. Well, the next step, again, this time of year, when you can slow it down, explain exactly where you belong and why, how it all ties together, uh, how we need to communicate on certain adjustments, certain formations, certain shifts, motions. That is critical right now. And, um, uh, you know, I was disappointed last year when we did not have full participation. I thought it contributed to us having a poor year um, in the back end because it's all about the back end has to play well for you to play great defense. You've got to cap things. You've got to, um, you know, understand where you belong and be there, uh, and, and and then just make your plays. But um, 
not to look back and make excuses and worry about it, but I know I feel much better about what we're doing now, the work we're putting in, the focus, the energy, the effort, the commitment. Those things pay off. There's no shortcut to success. Wow. So more (laughs) from Jack Del Rio on last offseason. Quote, I was disappointed last year when we did not have full participation. I thought it contributed to us having a poor year in the back end. End quote. So Jack clearly is talking about the secondary. He's not talking about Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Who exactly is Jack talking about? You know, there are no official reports from NFL teams on who does and doesn't attend offseason programs. Uh, reporting from reporters on who does and doesn't attend offseason programs is sporadic because reporters are only allowed to attend a few of these offseason practices and aren't allowed to attend any of the offseason workouts slash meetings, i.e. the team weightlifting sessions, uh, some team exercises outside, team meetings, etc. But these comments from Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson are significant, and I'm surprised that they have not gotten more attention. And Jack wasn't done. Listen to this exchange between Julie Donaldson and Jack Del Rio. Julie brings up the expectations for Washington's defense last season, perhaps having been too high. And Jack throws in a comment that seems to be another reference to some players having not attended the entirety of the offseason program last offseason. Well, I would imagine the guys, too, the expectations were so high for this defense. Um, and, and there were times where I know that last they pray. Year? Last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's oh, a lot yeah. of times. We had it all figured out. Yeah, didn't we? Didn't yeah. we? It's yeah. funny how that goes. Uh-huh. Um, all right. So how'd you like that from Jack Del Rio? Jack was spewing fire in this conversation with Julie Donaldson. Quote, oh, yeah, we had it all figured out. End quote. Uh, Jack was in rare form in this conversation with Julie. Good for Jack. I mean, this is not something that we're used to hearing from Jack. You know, him being this upfront about things, this honest about things. And, you know, that wasn't all for Jack in terms of brutal honesty in his conversation with Julie. Much more in moments. But the brutal truth about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is that doing so can be tricky. Uh, Interest rates are soaring. Homes in the D.C. area are expensive. The competition for homes in the D.C. area can be fierce. Uh, Luckily, the experience of buying a home in the D.C. area does not have to be brutal, does not have to be tricky, and someone who will ensure that you have a great experience buying a home in the D.C. area is Kellen Hunt. You will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent who understands this market and its current environment. And this can be a very tricky market in a very tricky environment. Did you know that in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold within 10 days of being listed? On Capitol Hill, 60% of homes listed are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales so far this year have been cash transactions. Kellen Hunt, he will guide you through the process of buying a home That's right for you. He understands what it's like out there right now. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, first-time buyers looking for guidance, young families that need space to grow, empty nesters ready to retire. You just need someone who understands the market and can match you with a home that meets your needs because that's what real estate is about, right? Your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. 
Kellen Hunt understands this. You know, he's not just a realtor. Uh, he's a young entrepreneur. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a homeowner himself. He's a smart guy, creative guy, and he gets it. Let Kellen Hunt help you get the home that you want and deserve. And know this, Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com and book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs. Make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. That's closeitwithkell.com, closeitwithkell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit closeitwithkell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Well, you do not need to tell Kell that Washington's first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft, uh, Jamin Davis, did not have a good rookie season last season. Uh, Kell knows that. You know that. We all know that. Uh, nothing captured this more than Jamin late in the season taking a backseat to David Mayo. Uh, remember that? Washington's Week 17 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field featured Jamin Davis playing on just 21% of Washington's defensive snaps, and David Mayo playing on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, That was a major red flag regarding the development of Jamin Davis. Jamin, for the 2021 regular season, had an overall grade for pro football focus of just 46.8. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Now, look, as I've said, I'm not giving up on Jamin Davis, okay? The guy is incredibly gifted. I would like to think that he could have a major step forward second NFL season, but there's no doubt he had a bad rookie season. Well, consider this from Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson on Jamin Davis. Jamin had a rough rookie year. Well, it wasn't a great rookie year, but you know, the amazing thing when you go back and look at it, if you take like 30 splash plays out of the year, it's like, oh my God, this guy's a great player. So what we need for for Jamin is more consistency. And, And I think you'll see that growth in his second year. Uh, things will settle down a little bit for him, and you'll see a little more of that athletic ability you know, kind of come to the forefront. All right, so Jack Del Rio on Jamin Davis. Quote, Jamin had a rough rookie year. Wasn't a great rookie year. End quote. Uh, now, Jack went on to compliment Jamin. Jack went on to speak promisingly about Jamin, but that stood out to me. Jack flat out saying that Jamin Davis had a rough rookie year, and of course he did. You know, this is not news-breaking, that Jamin Davis had a rough rookie year, but the fact that Jack Del Rio was so forthcoming in saying that to me uh, definitely stood out. Here was Ron Rivera, by the way, in his rookie minicamp press conference on Friday on where things are at with Jamin Davis. Well, based on what, what I've seen as far as the way he's practiced, you know, during the OTA periods, um, he's looking good. He's moving fast. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of walkthrough stuff right now. Um, a lot of formation recognition and adjustment and, and listening to him communicate and talk out there has, has been good. Um, you know, and, and again, right now, all we're really looking for is that we're going in the right direction. And that's probably been one of the biggest pluses right now. All right. So vanilla comments right there from Ron Rivera on Jamin Davis. And that's just fine. Uh, while we're talking linebackers for the commanders, what about one of the more popular commanders topics this offseason, but also to me, one of the more overrated commander's topics this offseason, Mike Linebacker, 
who is going to be the commander's Mike linebacker for the 2022 season. You likely have heard about and or read about this topic quite a bit. Uh, The reason that this is an overrated topic is that for all of the talk over this offseason that the team needs to upgrade at linebacker, the team has done next to nothing at linebacker. The team re-signed David Mayo, and that's basically it. And what that tells you is that the team doesn't see linebacker as the need that so many others do. Now, maybe the team is wrong and so many others are right, but what has become very clear is that the commanders view Cole Holcomb as the answer at Mike Linebacker. Remember, Jamin Davis was supposed to be the Mike Linebacker. That did not work out last season. And so now Cole Holcomb is very much looking as the next man up at Mike Linebacker. So we in late March at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida. The general manager of the Commanders, Martin Mayhew, spoke to reporters on March 28th, and Martin said that Cole could be the team's Mike Linebacker. Quote, we feel like Cole Holcomb has a chance to go in there and play Mike for us, so there's not a tremendous urgency to go and do something right there. He did a good job when he was in there. He kind of grew in that position last year when he got an opportunity to play some Mike. We'll see how it plays out. Cole's an option for us, End quote. And then the next day at the annual league meeting, Ron Rivera essentially restated what Martin Mayhew had said about Cole Holcomb. Now, all of this is a bit confusing because it was late in the 2021 regular season that we saw a good bit of David Mayo playing Mike Linebacker for Washington. Uh, Mayo in that loss at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16, 56-14, uh, played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Mayo in that loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 played on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. That was a game in which Damon Davis played on just 21% of Washington's defensive snaps. And that game, more than any other game, right, really sounded alarm bells about what was going on with Jamin Davis. Well, Ron Rivera in his day after the game Zoom press conference on January 3rd noted that David Mayo in that loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 did well as Washington's Mike linebacker. And Ron noted that Mayo playing the Mike had freed up Cole Holcomb to make plays. And Ron reiterated this at his season-ending joint press conference with Martin Mayhew on January 11th. Uh, Also during these press conferences was Ron indicating, if not outright saying, that Jamin Davis probably was best suited as an outside linebacker, meaning an outside backer in a 4-3 alignment, uh, not an outside backer in a 3-4 alignment. An outside backer in a 3-4 alignment is an edge defender. But the point is, the thinking had been that Ron Rivera had settled on Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis as outside linebackers, and that the search was back on from Mike Linebacker. Now, the team did sign David Mayo to a contract extension early this offseason. Uh, Washington, all the way back now on January 28th, announced the re-signing of Mayo to a contract extension. The extension is just a one-year deal, uh, but Mayo had been said to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. But yeah, we now have gone from Cole Holcomb not really appearing to be a candidate to be the Mike linebacker to now very much being the top candidate to be the Mike linebacker. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera on Friday on the plan at Mike linebacker. Well, internally right now, you know, we're, we're looking at, at giving Cole the opportunity to, to continue there. We thought he did some really good things, especially down the stretch. Um, David Mayo stepped up and played very well and showed us what, a, what, a, what he can do for us. Um, plus, he's a four-phase guy. Uh, and as I said, you know, Jamin's shown some things already that we're really happy with. And, uh, you know, we got a number of guys that we're looking at. 
Yeah, so Ron Rivera, again, making it clear that Cole Holcomb, at least right now, is the plan for the commanders at Mike Linebacker. Uh, the plan clearly has changed. Uh, now, Ron, in his press conference on March 28th at the NFL's annual league meeting, raved about Cole Holcomb. Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson raved about Cole Holcomb. Here was Jack to Julie on where he sees Cole Holcomb. Yeah, I think Cole Holcomb, when we first got here, he had played his rookie year a little raw. We liked some things about him. He played better that, that next year. And then last year, he took a huge step forward. He really played very well. In fact, a lot of the guys that are getting the pub around, around the league, he played as well or better then. So I, I would say don't sleep on Cole Holcomb. He's a pretty good football player. Yeah, so major praise for Cole Holcomb right there from Jack Del Rio. I tell you, I do think that a contract extension for Cole Holcomb is coming this offseason. Uh, Rod Rivera and Jack Del Rio clearly, really, like Cole. Uh, this coming season will be his age 26 season and the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh, the Redskins took Cole Holcomb in the fifth round of the 2019 NFL Draft out of North Carolina. You know, Terry McLaurin is not the only non-day one draft pick by the Redskins from that 2019 draft going into a contract season here. Cole Holcomb is as well. And uh, I do think that the commanders are going to be signing Cole Holcomb to a contract extension. Uh, speaking of the draft, uh, let's get to what Jack Del Rio had to say to Julie Donaldson about the top two defensive players who the commanders took in the 2022 draft, talking about Alabama interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, who the commanders took in the second round, and Louisiana safety Percy Butler, who the commanders took in the fourth round. Uh, Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson on Fedarian Mathis. Yeah, he's a, a well-rounded defensive tackle. Uh, I think he's best in the run game. Um, he's our third, at this point, our third legitimate defensive tackle body that we have in the building. Um, so he'll help spell John and, and, and Deron. Um, happened to go to Alabama. I mean, that doesn't hurt him. Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's, not, that's not why we took him. I and mean, people are like, oh, another defensive tackle from Alabama. It's like, I mean, come on, coach. It, we are swinging a little heavy for the Bama. It, um, it, I, we need to balance out a little bit. It worked here. out that way. But, uh, no, it, it had really little to do with that. Um, but he's a big, strong guy. He can eat up blocks. He, he, he can uh, generate some rush, some push inside. And uh, obviously with our big DNs coming off the edge, we need some of that interior push. Yeah, and hopefully Fedarian Mathis proves to be more than just a two-down, run-stopping interior defensive lineman. Not to minimize the importance of a guy being a good two-down, run-stopping interior defensive lineman, but in today's pass-happy NFL, you'd like it so that a second-round pick is more than just a two-down player for you. But you heard Jack Del Rio call Mathis the commander's, quote, third legitimate defensive tackle body, end quote. So Mathis clearly is expected to right away fill the role of Matt Ioannidis, who had been Washington's DT3. Uh, here was Jack to Julie Donaldson on whether it was important for the commanders in the 2022 draft to take an interior defensive lineman, given that the team had released Matt Ioannidis and given that the team had lost Tim Settle to unrestricted free agency, Settle uh, signing a contract with the Buffalo Bills. I think that made it more of a need, uh, created a need. Um, the reality is, you know, um, in the draft process, you know, you have different players across the board. And um, so long as you're not 
reaching down a level to grab somebody if they're if they're if they're graded there and you, you select along the line um, and and need comes into it in that situation I think that's that's intelligent I mean I think that's a good thing to do so I thought we had a, I thought it was, a, it was a good pick for us good solid pick I think he'll be a good player for us Hopefully, Fedarian Mathis will be a good player for the Commanders. He pretty clearly is expected to be playing for the Commanders right away. And the same may well be true for Percy Butler. Uh, Ron Rivera, in his conversation with Julie Donaldson last week, made it very clear that we should expect to see a lot of Percy Butler this coming season. Uh, made it very clear that Butler will be a part of the team, again, making heavy usage of three safety looks. Uh, Butler for Louisiana played free safety, strong safety, and nickel corner. Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson on Percy Butler. I think with him, you know, we get a young man that uh, has the speed to play in the slot, uh, has the speed and the range to play in the free safety spot, uh, and is physical enough to come down and play as a strong safety. So He's got the ability to do all of what we look for back there with the safety position, and we're excited about adding him. Yeah, Ron Rivera in his rookie minicamp press conference on Friday talked multiple times about the speed of Percy Butler, and he is fast. Uh, Butler at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-6-40. And so bottom line, what kind of a defense are the commanders going to have in the 2022 season. This is a big deal. Nothing about Washington's 2021 season was more disappointing than the team's past defense, which was very good the previous season. What's going to happen this coming season? Jack Del Rio to Julie Donaldson on his expectations for the commander's defense in the 2022 season. Uh, I expect us to play really, really well and help our football team win. You know, that's like... Where are we going to rank? I don't know. Uh, I think pretty high. But what I expect, I expect our guys to know what to do. I expect them to go with, there with serious attitude and intent. And I expect us to play great defense. And hopefully great defense from the commanders is what we will see this coming season. There's too much talent on this commander's defense for it to not be at least good, if not great. Up next, I'm talking commander's offense. Uh, Good stuff from Scott Turner on Carson Wentz, Sam Howell, Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson Jr., and more. Well, it is hard to remember a time in which grocery shopping was as unappealing as it is right now, right? Prices at stores are ridiculous due to inflation. Just driving to the store is costly because of the cost of gas, and you're super busy. I mean, who even has time to go food shopping, let alone to think about what to make on a daily basis? And so all of this is why you should try HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost and try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh, and we love it. Uh, We have had sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry, Monterey Jack unfried chicken, 
pub-style shepherd's pie, saucy pork burrito bowls, Italian chicken, Southwest beef with pasta. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. And the ultimate endorsement is this. My four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. And trust me, he is a picky eater. Him deeming something worthy of being eaten is like, you know, the white smoke coming out of the Vatican when a new pope is elected. He eats HelloFresh. He loves it. You will too. Uh, Also, HelloFresh will work with you. You can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date all on the HelloFresh app. So here's what to do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yeah, this is a great deal. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, good to have you with us on this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Let's talk commander's offense off rookie minicamp, off comments from offensive coordinator Scott Turner to the team's senior vice president of media and content, Julie Donaldson, in an interview that the commanders put out on Friday. And also comments from head coach Rod Rivera at a rookie minicamp press conference on Friday. So the commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, did not participate in rookie minicamp. He is not a rookie. Uh, But Scott Turner speaking to Julie Donaldson was the first interview that Scott had done since the commander's traded for Wentz. Uh, The trade became official on March 16th. The news of the trade broke on March 9th. Uh, this was Scott to Julie on what Carson will allow Scott to do with his offense. Well, Carson, you know, has had a lot of success um, in the league. Obviously, you know, he's been on a, you know, on a few teams. Um, he's just a big physical guy. He can really push the ball down the field. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good runner. You know, he doesn't like play that way, but he'll scramble. And like I said, he has physicality and toughness. Now, sometimes you don't want him to take as many of the hits he does take, but um, just the ability to kind of push the ball down the field and, and spread it out uh, across the field is re- what's really going to help us. All right, so you heard Scott Turner emphasize the ability of Carson Wentz to push the ball downfield, to throw deep. Uh, I brought up the following stat on Friday's show, episode 309, on which I discussed why I'm feeling better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson, for the 2021 regular season, it was number one among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in Football Outsiders DVOA metric on pass attempts of at least 20 air yards. Uh, That was stunning when I first saw that. So Carson Wentz in the 2021 regular season was the most efficient quarterback in the NFL on deep passes. You know, every offseason now, it feels like we talk about Washington needing to generate more explosive plays on offense. And every season, Washington, it feels like, doesn't generate nearly enough explosive plays on offense. Uh, Washington, for the 2021 regular season, per sharp football stats, ranked just 24th out of 32 NFL teams in explosive passing play rate. Uh, Sharp football stats defines an explosive passing play as a pass that goes for at least 20 yards. Washington for the 2021 regular season for sharp football stats ranked just 24th out of 32 NFL teams 
in explosive passing play rate. Here are Washington's rankings in explosive passing play rate over the last few regular seasons. 2021 at 24th, 2020 31st, as in next to last in the NFL, 2019 27th, 2018 27th, 2017 third. Hmm. Who was the Redskins starting quarterback? <laughs> for the 2017 season. Gosh darn it, I just can't remember that guy's name. He must not have been very good because so many people wanted him gone. Uh, golly gee, what was that guy's name? I don't know. It'll come to me. But yeah, Washington has finished 24th or worse in the NFL in explosive passing play rate for sharp football stats in each of the last four regular seasons. Not good. Hopefully Carson Wentz can get the commanders to being respectable in terms of explosive passing plays. Now, a quarterback on the Commanders who does have a reputation for throwing a good deep ball, in addition to Carson Wentz, is the quarterback who the Commanders took in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft, Sam Howell. Uh, Howell, over his three seasons as North Carolina starting quarterback 2019 through 2021, generated 82 big-time throws for Pro Football Focus, 16 more than any other FBS quarterback during that span. Scott Turner to Julie Donaldson on Sam Howell. We like him, obviously we like him a lot. We had him graded high. We're really surprised he dropped to where he did. Um, we are happy to get him. Uh, and he, but he's a young guy, you know, he only spent three years in college. He's only 21 years old. So this is an opportunity for him to come in and learn how to play and learn how to play behind, you know, two, two quarterbacks that have played significant amount of time in the NFL. Um, and then, you know, however he does, that'll dictate, you know, kind of where it goes. He'll get opportunities. And, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, how you do with those opportunities dictates the, the next opportunity that you get. Yeah, so sounds like Scott Turner is keeping an open mind on Sam Howell, and Scott Turner should keep an open mind on Sam Howell. Uh, Now, on last Tuesday's show, episode 306, had North Carolina offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Phil Longo on the podcast to talk Sam Howell. Uh, Coach Longo was great. He went in-depth on the idea that Carolina's offense featured a lot of run-pass options, making for the offense to, shall we say, college and thus meaning that Howell is going to have to make major adjustments to the NFL. Well, here was Ron Rivera on Friday on whether Sam Howell will have to make a big jump from North Carolina's offense to the commander's offense. No, I I think he'll be okay. I I really do. I think he and and Cole Kelly, the other quarterback we brought in, are two guys that we we did pay a lot of attention to. Um, Both guys are really football smart, football savvy guys, and and I don't think either one of them is going to have a huge learning curve. Um, you know, but uh, I think, you know, that they're young guys that aren't going to have any time frame where they have to hurry to get anything done. So we feel just good about who they are. And you heard Ron Rivera bring up Cole Kelly. Uh, the commanders last Monday afternoon announced the signings of 13 undrafted free agents, including quarterback Cole Kelly. Uh, Kelly played for Arkansas for two seasons, 2017 and 2018, then transferred to Southeastern Louisiana University. Cole Kelly is a quarterback monster. Uh, Kelly at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being 6'7 and 3 eighths of an inch and 249 pounds. Now, not particularly tall is the commander's first round pick 
in the 2022 draft, Penn State receiver Jahan Dodson. That, to me, is really not that big of a deal. Uh, Everything that I continue to hear about, see, and read about Dodson makes me like him even more. I mean, there is just a lot to like about Jahan Dodson. Maybe he doesn't end up being a very good NFL receiver, but you know what? My bet is on him being a very good NFL receiver. Uh, The Commanders, of course, took Dodson with the number 16 overall pick in the 2022 draft off initially, right, having had the number 11 overall pick with which the Commanders could have taken another receiver, say Chris Olave or Jamison Williams, but the Commanders made the trade with the New Orleans Saints to move down five spots in the first round, and the Saints at 11 took Olave. And so it stands to reason that the Commanders at the very least graded Dotson as being not that much worse than Olave and Williams, and perhaps even graded Dodson as being better than Olave and Williams. Uh, You know, all of this talk that the commanders really liked Chris Olave uh, now looks to have been wrong. I mean, if the commanders really liked Olave, then they just would have taken him at 11. Didn't do that. Uh, Did the commanders, in fact, have Jahan Dodson higher on their draft board than they had Chris Olave and Jamison Williams. Uh, here was Scott Turner to Julie Donaldson on Jahan Dotson. Very early in the process, um, you know, Jahan was someone that we targeted that we wanted to have, felt like we would really like having him on our team. Uh, you know, you talk about someone that started 32 straight games at Penn State, so he's always available, um, highly productive. Um, you know, really not, not, I don't want to speak bad about his team, but you know, he was really, you know, kind of the guy, and and everything. The focus was always on him, and his production never wavered. You know, um, you know, people talk about his size. Yeah, five, you know, five eleven, 178 pounds. Uh, but what he has a, a really good body control, uh, really good catch radius, um, and great ball skills. He's a hands catcher, so he's able to play a lot bigger than maybe what his measurable are his size. He's a very easy person to throw to. Um, you know, you look at his two games against Ohio State the last two years one of the better teams you know against high talent and I think he had close to 290 yards receiving in those two games combined and I, I'm pretty sure they were they were trying to stop him so you look at a guy like that um, the, with the versatility um, he's a great person you know everything that we've heard and talked to him um, and then just also the the fact that he's available you know the, the 32 straight games I mean that's big and uh, played a lot of different spots moved him around um, and he'll be able to do that in our offense as well and it's just it's exciting exciting when you add a player like that uh, to the mix of what we already feel like is kind of an up-and-coming group to begin with. Boy, does it not sound like Scott Turner likes himself, Jahan Dodson. Uh, Does it not sound like Scott Turner was among those behind the scenes lobbying hard for the commanders to take Jahan Dodson? I mean, Scott had all of the reasons to like Dodson at the ready. Scott fired out those reasons in machine gun fashion, like there. Uh, Scott was like Bruce Willis in Die Hard with how Scott was firing off all of those reasons to like Dodson. Hey, Scott, talk to me about Jahan Dodson. Okay. Scott was just firing off one reason after another uh, right there. Uh, the commanders in their 2022 draft ended up selecting five offensive players. The next one after Jahan Dodson was the Alabama running back, Brian Robinson Jr., uh, who the commanders took in the third round. Scott Turner to Julie Donaldson on Brian Robinson Jr. He brings a little bit of an edge and physicality. I mean, he, you know, he's got an interesting story where obviously he's at Alabama. He's from there. He's from Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, went to Alabama and he sat behind some really good players, you yeah. know, and so there's not as much 
you know, wear, you know, as a normal back, that, you know, four years or three years of that. So he's a, he's a little bit fresher. But last year, you know, he got his opportunity and he made the most of it. And he's a physical runner. He makes guys tackle him. Um, he does, you know, that's not all he is. I think everyone just talks about a pounder, but he's elusive and he can run away from you. Um, but he has that edge of that physicality and kind of that that ball carrier mentality you know where he wants the ball and um, I think he's going to provide you know some good competition as well obviously you know we're really happy with Antonio being being a thousand yard rusher you know for the first time last season and he's growing in the position as well going into his third year really his third year playing running back for the full time for you know full time and um, last year being a thousand yard rusher but just to add to that add to that room with him and JD and uh, JP and all those guys um, as well but we just his toughness you know his physicality is a very serious guy too so that that'll be good that'll be good to add so I thought that Scott Turner in that cut made a really interesting point and it's a point that I had not heard made previously Brian Robinson Jr. in college did not have as many carries as you might think especially considering that he was a player at Alabama for five seasons and thus Robinson doesn't have the wear and tear on his body that another ultra experienced college running back might have had. Uh, Robinson played at Alabama for five seasons, 2017 through 2021, but Robinson did not become a starter for Alabama until his 2021 redshirt senior season. Now, I don't believe that the commanders drafted Brian Robinson Jr. just to be their short yardage back, you know, just to be the new Peyton Barber. Washington last season was very good on short yardage runs. There really wasn't a need for a short yardage back. I think that the commanders drafting Robinson is more about spelling Antonio Gibson, who, as we know, has been banged up quite a bit, and also may even be about challenging Gibson, who last season left a good bit of yardage on the field and who last season also had a major fumbling problem. Scott Turner to Julie Donaldson on whether having Brian Robinson Jr. will change how Scott uses Antonio Gibson. No, I mean, you know, maybe like we've done a lot with Antonio, maybe it just opens us up to maybe do a little bit more, um, you know, moving him around. But we've done some of that already. Obviously, we have JD that does a lot of that. Um, you know, I think Antonio, his role is going to was going to continue to grow anyways, regardless, just as he matures um, in this league and, and at the position. All right, we shall see. Uh, another offensive player taken by the Commanders in the 2022 draft was the Nevada tight end Cole Turner, who the Commanders took in the fifth round and who Ron Rivera has been raving about. In fact, Ron raved about Cole Turner during Ron's rookie minicamp press conference on Friday. Ron was talking about something else and then just like launched into praising Cole Turner again. Uh, here was that praise. Uh, Cole Turner is, 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 is uh, I think, is going to wow a lot of guys just because of, of his athleticism and his size and his ability to run. Um, and he's also shown us, uh, you know, and, and even though we're not in pads, watching his, his, his technique as far as blocking, um, I think he's going to surprise some people with that. Yeah, now the book on Cole Turner is that he at Nevada essentially was a receiver who was called a tight end. Uh, Cole Turner is the anti-John Bates in that regard. Washington took Bates in the fourth round of the 2021 draft. Bates at Boise State was a blocking tight end who did limited pass catching. Although Bates for Washington last season did just fine as a pass catcher, Cole Turner is not what you would call a blocking tight end. He is a pass catching tight end. Uh, Here was Scott Turner to Julie Donaldson on Cole Turner. You know, he's a guy that really was a receiver 
came to Nevada, moved into a tight end, but he put, really still played more of a receiver type role. He was he got he led their team in targets at least I think at least the last two seasons and was highly productive. Really, really a big guy. Um, you know, we had the we had the opportunity to go work him out, and what he showed is just that catch radius. You know, where he can adjust, he can go get the ball um, up over his head. He can you know lay out for it, adjust behind him, um, and he just has a feel for running routes because that's what he did. So he did a lot of it. He's going to have some growth to do um, with some of the other aspects of playing tight end. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, but I mean. You know, and, and you can you can choose what you do with these guys as well. But you know, if you play tight end, you are going to be asked to block some. Um, but he, you know, he brings a guy that can get you know can get down the field, and he's a big and he's a big target. Yeah, Cole Turner is big. Uh, he at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine measured as being six six and one half of an inch and two hundred forty nine pounds. Up next, the Capitals now up two games to one. On the President's Trophy winning Florida Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, give you my thoughts on the Caps. A fabulous 6 1 route of the Panthers at Capital One Arena in Game 3 on Saturday afternoon, including an in depth look at the performance of Ilya Samsonov. We actually had chance of Sammy at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. I'll get to that and much more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, if you have been a Capitals fan for a while, uh, you have got to be getting a particular kick out of what's going on in their series against the Florida Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Panthers won the President's Trophy for the 2021-2022 NHL regular season as they led the NHL with 122 points. The Panthers were a prohibitive favorite coming into this series, and yet it is the Panthers who are down in the series. Two games to one, not 
our caps. Uh, in the past, of course, it was the caps who were the President's Trophy winner that flopped in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs, the Caps, as the President's Trophy winner, lost in the first round to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs, the Caps, as the President's Trophy winner, lost in the second round to the Pittsburgh Penguins. The 2017 Stanley Cup playoffs, the Caps, as the President's Trophy winner, lost in the second round to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, this Caps-Panthers series is far from over. I totally get that. But the Caps certainly are in a nice spot right now. Up two games to one with Game 4 at home. Game 4 at Capital One Arena, Monday night at 7. And how about the response from the Caps in Game 3 off their debacle of a loss in Game 2? The Caps got smashed in Game 2, a 5-1 loss at the Panthers this past Thursday night. The Caps were horrendous in the third period of that game. The Caps, in a third period in which they trailed for the entire third period, 5-1, totaled just three shots on goal to the Panthers' 17. That was a pathetic performance by the Caps in that third period in Game 2 this past Thursday night. Well, we in Game 3 on Saturday afternoon saw a much different performance by the Caps. A 6-1 ripping of the Panthers at Capital One Arena to take a 2-1 series lead. Uh, The Caps were again without Tom Wilson. He did not play for a second consecutive game due to a lower body injury that he suffered in Game 1 of what was a Caps 4-2 win at the Panthers this past Tuesday night. But the Caps in Game 3 still came through with a blowout victory. And, you know, as much as the Caps' six goals in Game 3 stand out, the number one item to me for the Caps in Game 3 was their goaltending. Yes, the oh-so-questionable Caps goaltending was anything but questionable on Saturday afternoon. Ilya Samsonov, a.k.a. Sammy. If the Sammy who we saw in Game 3 is the Sammy who we're going to see moving forward, watch out. Uh, Ilya Samsonov in Game 3 was a Caps starting goaltender for the first time in three games in this series, off replacing a benched Vitek Vanacek for the third period in Game 2. Samsonov in that third period in Game 2 was really good. He stopped all 17 shots on goal that he faced. And Samsonov in Game 3 was great. He stopped 29 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. So good was Samsonov in Game 3 that fans at Capital One Arena at one point were chanting, Sammy, Sammy. And that was a really big deal. If you know the Ilya Samsonov story, you know that he overall has been a disappointment for the Caps. He overall has been a bust of a first-round pick for the Caps. The Caps took him with the number 22 pick in the 2015 NHL draft, but he is very talented. He is continuing to get opportunity from the Caps, and certainly on Saturday afternoon, he did a terrific job with that opportunity. In fact, Samsonov said that the chance had him close to crying, if you could believe that. Take a listen to this exchange with Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic during a post-game press conference. Sammy, what was it like to hear uh, the crowd, 20,000 people chanting, Sammy, Sammy? I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard that yet. It's close to cry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, fans. Uh, this is important, too. You know, thank you, team. Uh, a lot of blocks today. It's more important we play together and we got a great result. 
Yeah, so Ilya Samsonov came close to crying on Saturday. Now look, if you know Ilya Samsonov, you know that this is what he does. Uh, One game, he's outstanding. The next game, he's bad. So I would not be surprised at all if he's not good in Game 4 on Monday night, but I am certainly hoping that he is good in Game 4 on Monday night, and there's no doubt he was terrific in Game 3. Samsonov in Game 3, per natural stat trick, stopped all nine of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Samsonov, over the final two periods, stopped all 21 of the shots on goal that he faced, including in the second period, stopping all 13 of the shots on goal that he faced. And, you know, the Caps in the second period on Saturday afternoon weren't exactly stellar. Uh, The Caps in the second period had just seven shots on goal to the Panthers' 13, and Pernatural Statrick had just six five-on-five shot attempts to the Panthers' 23. Now, what's kind of funny about Samsonov's performance in Game 3 is that the lone goal that he gave up was a softie, okay? Uh, This was not a good goal to give up. Uh, The goal uh, came on a shot that was classified by natural stat trick as a low-danger shot on goal. Jonathan Huberdeau scored an even-strand goal 245 into the first period on a wrister while streaking into the left circle. Samsonov was not at all screened, should have made the save. He did not make the save. The goal gave the Panthers an early one nothing lead. Every Caps fan on the planet was saying to him or herself, oh, here we go again with Ilya Samsonov, but he was really good the rest of the game, and the Caps won the rest of the game 6 nothing. Uh, Now, in no small part because of Ilya Samsonov, the Caps in Game 3 went 3-for-3 on the penalty kill, continuing the Caps' dominance on special teams in this series. The Caps, over the first three games of this series, are 9-for-9 on the penalty kill, and the Caps, over the first three games of this series, are 4-for-12 on the power play. Uh, The Caps in Game 3 went 2-for-6 on the power play. 4-for-12 are the Caps now on the power play in this series, uh, Alex Ovechkin in Game 3 had a power play goal, 10-25 into the third period. Uh, Ovechkin also had a primary assist and had a team-high tying six hits. Now, he, per natural stat trick, did finish dead last on the camps in 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage for the game at 22.22. Uh, the camps with Ovechkin on the ice in 5-on-5 situations in the game had just four shot attempts versus allowing 14 shot attempts, but the six hits from Ovechkin were particularly key, especially his physicality early in the game. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday on Ovechkin's physicality. Everybody's got to chip in with that, you know. Um, You know, Tom's not there again tonight, and he's a big guy that provides some physicality, so everybody's got to ante up. And so I thought, oh, early on in the game, I mean, I've had conversations with you about this, you know, his physicality for a guy who scores goals and is going to get out as one of the greats of all time. His physical play is um, always evident and and needed. And so um, it did set the tone. Yeah, you can never say enough about Alex Ovechkin's willingness to be physical, willingness to dish out punishment. You know, he has never been some like namby-pamby fancy boy goal scorer, okay? He is a goal scorer, no doubt, but he's always been willing to be physical. You know, he has always been willing to put his body on the line. I give Ovechkin a ton of respect for that, and that makes Ovechkin's durability all the more impressive, that he is a physical player, and yet he has been so durable during his NHL career. Uh, also for the Caps in Game 3, TJ Oshie had a power play goal, 1934 into the first period. So two more power play goals for the Caps 
in this series in Game 3. Like I said, the Caps over the three games in this series, 4 for 12 on the power play and 9 for 9 on the penalty kill. Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday on why Caps special teams have been so good so far in this series. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're both... Uh... I think Florida's done a good job at what they're doing. Our guys have done a really good job on the penalty kill sacrificing, and they've got a dangerous group, and so it calls you to attention right away. Um, execution is usually the penalty kill. The power play is, you know, it's, it's scored some goals for us, which we need. Um, there's still things I think that, you know, we can keep, continue to work on and try to get better at, but certainly it's, it's produced. Yes, it has. Uh, some other offensive standouts for the Caps in Game 3. Nicholas Backstrom had two secondary assists and a team-high five shots on goal. Marcus Johansson in Game 3 had a second-period even-strength goal, a primary assist, and per natural stat trick was number three on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 56.25. The Caps with Johansson on the ice in five-on-five situations of the game had 18 shot attempts versus allowing 14 shot attempts. Uh, I tell you, the Caps reacquiring Johansson on NHL trade deadline day continues to look like a good pickup. The Caps on NHL trade deadline day this past March 21st acquired Johansson from the Seattle Kraken for forward Daniel Sprong, a 2022 fourth round pick into 2023 sixth round pick, and the Kraken retained 50% of Johansson's contract. Uh, also, Anthony Mantha in Game 3 had another good game in this series. Uh, Mantha had two assists, was number two on the Caps with four shots on goal, and per natural stat trick was number one on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 60. Uh, the Caps with Mantha on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 18 shot attempts versus allowing 12 shot attempts. Uh, now, Mantha did commit two penalties. He has committed some penalties in this series. Mantha on Saturday afternoon committed a first period cross checking penalty and a second period roughing penalty. More from Peter Laviolette during his post game press conference on Saturday. This on the Camps responding oh so well in game three to that horrendous third period in game two. Yeah, I'm, I, I wasn't, you know, I've said it before, I wasn't hung up on the third period. It was it was what it was at that point and um, was not a reflection of the previous five periods. And so I think our guys got over that pretty quick and mm-hmm. turned the page on that. Looks like we got to turn the page on tonight and move forward. So um, it was, uh, we did what we needed to do. And hopefully the Caps in Game 4 will again do what they need to do. Uh, one more for you from Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Saturday. So this game, if we don't follow it up, then that's on us. And so there's got to be a, it's got to be pointed from right now. And so we've got to make sure that <coughs> our mindset is knowing exactly where they're at our preparation, our work, our detail, that has to be the priority. And so, um, like I said, the third period was, it wasn't who we were, but um, I think it's really important that um, we understand exactly, we know exactly where they're at and we're ready to, to play. Yeah, massive opportunity for the Caps on Monday night. The chance to go up 3-1 on the President's Trophy-winning Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, 
Oh, what could have been for the Nationals? Uh, the Nats were one out away, one out from winning two or three games at one of the best teams in Major League Baseball so far this season, the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, the Nats were one out away, one out <laughs> from concluding a stunningly successful five and four road trip. But the Nats ended up not getting that last out. As, of all people, the ex-Nat, Anthony Rendon, had a walk-off RBI single, resulting in a 5-4 walk-off loss at the Angels on Sunday. Just a killer of an ending to the Nats' nine-game road trip. Even though, all things considered, the Nats going 4-5 and five on the road trip really wasn't so bad. Uh, the Nats this season now are 10-20. and 20. Uh, Look, in the bigger picture that the Nats lost this game on Sunday really doesn't matter, all right? Wins and losses for the Nats this season really don't matter. What matters for the Nats this season is young players playing well. What matters for the Nats this season is the team acquiring more prospects. The Nats are a rebuilding team. The Nats are not a win-now team. But if you're a fan of the Nats, if you're watching these Nats games, it's hard not to get caught up in the games. And what happened on Sunday from a Nats perspective, was tough. Uh, the Nats came into the bottom of the ninth, leading 4-2. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez brought in his closer, brought in his ace reliever, Tanner Rainey, who really has not been used all that much so far this season, uh, in no small part because the Nats <laughs> so rarely have been playing with leads in the uh, latter innings of games so far this season. Uh, but Rainey on Sunday was pitching on a second straight day for the first time since April 9th and 10th, and he ended up suffering a blown save for the first time this season, falling to 3 for 4 on saves. Now, Rainey's outing on Sunday got off to a good start. He struck out Jack Mayfield on four pitches, but then the problem started. Uh, Rainey issued a one-out five-pitch walk of pinch hitter Luis Rengifo. Rainey then gave up a one-out opposite field single to Taylor Ward to right field. Rainey did then strike out the great Mike Trout on four pitches, but Rainey then gave up a two-out game-tying two-run double to Shohei Otani off the left center field wall to tie the game at four, and Rainey then gave up a two-out walk-off RBI single to, yes, the ex-Nat, Anthony Rendon, to center field for a 5-4 Nats loss. Now, Shohei Otani scored the game-winning run. He did barely beat the throw from center fielder Victor Robles to score the game-winning run, uh, but yeah, the Nats ended up losing, and yeah, Anthony Rendon ended up delivering the fatal blow to the Nats. You know, Rendon in the series really didn't do much. Uh, he had done next to nothing going into that final plate appearance of the series. Rendon, even with the walk-off RBI single on Sunday, concluded the series going in at just two for 13 with two singles and no walks. But Rendon came through with the biggest hit in the series, and the Nats ended up uh, concluding the series with this walk-off loss at the Angels. Uh, Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday evening on Tanner Rainey giving up that walk-off RBI single to Anthony Rendon. Good hitter. I mean, you know, we, we know that, you know, and um, like I said, uh, we, we did well against them all series long, but, you, you know, um, you know, in a moment like that, you know, in high leverage situations, those big hitters, you know, um, you got to make pitches, uh, you know, and, 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 and that was the key. Like I said, I think for me, it was just um, the walk to Rendifo that, that got everything going. Rainey's been no, a zero ERA. Did you see something different in his outing in the ninth inning? Today? No, he, I mean, he, he, he threw the ball well. Like I said, these guys are, these guys, you know, you're facing, you know, Trout, um, you know, Otani, uh, Rendon. 
Uh, those are good hitters, you know. And like you know, like I said, you got you got to hit your spots. You got to make your pitchers. Um, I know he's trying to throw a slider down to Otani. He kind of got it up a little bit, you know, in the strike zone. And um, when you miss like that, you know, he's got he's going to put a good swing on it. And you saw what he can do. Yes, we did see. Uh, now Tanner Rainey on Sunday wasn't the only Nats reliever who had problems. Uh, Josh Rogers in the bottom of the sixth faced three batters, got just one out, and was charged with two runs. He gave up a leadoff single to Jared Waltz and issued a four-pitch walk of Max Stassi. Uh, Kyle Finnegan then came into the game. He officially tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings. Now, he entered the game in the bottom of the sixth with runners on second and third, one out, and the Nats leading 3 nothing. Finnegan gave up a one-out, full-count, two-run, opposite-field single to pinch hitter Jack Mayfield to right field to cut the Nats' lead to 3-2. So that was not good. But Finnegan then induced an inning-ending double play, and Finnegan then tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh in which he struck out Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Anthony Rendon in succession. You know, up until the Rendon walk-off RBI single on Sunday, one of the big storylines from this series was the very good job that the Nats pitching staff had done against the Angels' big three batters of Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Anthony Rendon. Uh, Austin Voth on Sunday then tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. I mean, there was a lot to like from this Nats bullpen in this series. Uh, the two other games in the series were a 3 nothing Nats loss late night on Friday night and a 7-3 Nats win late night on Saturday night. Three Nats relievers on Friday night combined for three scoreless innings. Uh, Austin Voth tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth. Victor Rano tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Paolo Espino tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And three Nats relievers on Saturday night combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings. Steve Ciszek, Erasmo Ramirez, and Tanner Rainey combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings. Uh, this was a very mixed series for Nats starting pitching. Each outing was mixed. Each outing had some really good things and some not-so-good things. Uh, Eric Fetty in Game 3 was an Nats starting pitcher, and he somehow threw five scoreless innings. I'm still not sure how Fetty did this, but he did this. Five scoreless innings. Uh, he did this despite issuing five walks. He did this despite throwing just 53 strikes versus 44 balls on 97 pitches. Uh, Fetty did give up just two hits, both of which were singles. He recorded four strikeouts, but he had some innings in which you were like, how the heck did he just escape that inning without giving up a run? Uh, Fetty tossed a scoreless spot of the first despite issuing a one-out six-pitch walk of Mike Trout despite him having been down to the count at one point, one two, despite giving up a two-out single to Anthony Rendon, and despite issuing a two-out five-pitch walk of Jared Walsh to load the bases. Uh, Fetty tossed a scoreless bottom of the third despite issuing a leadoff five-pitch walk of Taylor Ward, and despite issuing a one-out five-pitch walk of Shohei Otani, and Fetty tossed a scoreless bottom of the fourth despite issuing a one-out six-pitch walk of Brandon Marsh, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12, and despite giving up a one-out bunt single to Tyler Wade on a 1-2 pitch. But bottom line, Eric Fetty on Sunday tossed five scoreless innings. The run prevention was there. So I guess you have to say nice job, Eric Fetty. Uh, David Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday evening on Eric Fetty. Yeah, he was he was a, a, a bit uh, erratic, but you know what? Once again, um, Fetty showed some maturity. You know, he stayed with it. And he threw pitches when he had to. He made, he made good pitches when he had to, um, and and he was smart. You know, I mean, he pitched he fit, pitched uh, smart when he had to. So um, you know, he he came in. He, you know, he wasn't happy. But I told him, hey, you gave us five five good innings. You know, and um, I know it wasn't what you wanted, but uh, I, I thought you did a great job. And I thought again, you showed a, lo a lot more maturity this outing as well. 
Yeah, so how about this? Eric Fetty now, over six starts this season, has an ERA of 390. Uh, he has been at least decent in five of the six starts. You know, it doesn't always feel that way. And he did have that one really bad start, an 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park on April 20th. Fetty in that game allowed seven runs, six earned in three and the third innings. But he's actually been decent, at least in his other five outings so far this season. And to me, Eric Fetty has been the Nats' second best starting pitcher so far this season. Uh, now, the Nats' best starting pitcher so far this season has been Josiah Gray. Uh, he was the Nats' starting pitcher in game two of this series at the Angels. Gray, late night on Saturday night, allowed three runs in five into third innings. He was so-so. Uh, Gray gave up five hits, two homers, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just three strikeouts. He threw just 49 strikes versus 34 balls over 83 pitches. But truth be told, it really was only one inning in which Josiah Gray struggled in terms of giving up runs. He allowed all three of the runs that he gave up in the bottom of the fourth, but Gray over the first, second, third, and fifth innings retired 12 of the 15 batters he faced. Uh, Josiah Gray over six starts this season has an ERA of 345. And then Joanna Doan was an ad starting pitcher in game one of the series. Uh, this was the game late night on Friday night. And Adone, uh, like Gray, was so-so. Uh, Adone gave up three runs in five innings. What was bad was that he struggled with his control again. Uh, Yoan Adone does have a bit of a control problem. Uh, Adone on Friday night issued five walks and a wild pitch. He threw just 51 strikes versus 34 balls over 85 pitches. And he committed a throwing error on a pickoff attempt. If you are watching Yoan Adone this season, you are coming to the realization that this guy has a bit of a problem on pickoff attempt throws. But Adone on Friday night also gave up just three hits, a double and two singles. And he recorded six strikeouts, including striking out Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in succession on a combined seven pitches for the final two outs in the bottom of the third with a runner on first. Uh, Adone over six starts this season has an ERA of 699. Uh, that's not good, obviously. What are killing him are the walks. Uh, Adone this season has a walks per nine innings of 5.72. That is a sky-high walk rate, but Adone this season also has a strikeout rate of 8.58. 8.58 strikeouts per nine innings. You know, Adone routinely throws in the mid-90s, very much has strikeout stuff. There is something to Yoan Adone. Um, he's got to get the control problems under control, but the guy has strikeout stuff. I mean, the guy very much has big league stuff. He also seems to have uh, some chutzpah to him. You know, he acts like he belongs, which is not a small thing. I think that matters a lot for a starting pitcher. Uh, this is Yoan Adone's age 23 season. The Nats signed Adone as an amateur free agent out of the Dominican Republic in July 2016. Uh, as for the Nats' offense in this series loss at the Angels over the weekend, so the Nats got shut out in Game 1, the 3-0 loss late night on Friday night. Uh, the Nats hit three homers in Game 2, the 7-3 win late night on Saturday night. And the Nats in Game 3, the 5-4 walk-off loss on Sunday, just blew too many chances. The Nats had chances. I mean, the Nats in the game totaled 11 hits and three walks, but the Nats went just 3-for-13 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Michael Franco on Sunday as an ad starting third baseman and number six batter, one for four, left five men on base. Yadiel Hernandez on Sunday as an ad starting left fielder and number five batter, one for four, with two strikeouts, left four men on base. Now, I don't want to crush Yadiel because he overall has been really good lately. Uh, Yadiel on Saturday night as an ad starting left fielder and number five batter, one for three, 
with a solo homer and a walk. Uh, but there also was this on Sunday. All 11 of the Nats' hits were singles. Uh, Cesar Hernandez on Sunday as the Nats' starting second baseman and number one batter went three for five with three singles. Uh, look, singles are nice, okay? I don't want to be dismissive of them, but extra base hits are better, okay? And I know that the Nats hit the three homers on Saturday night, but the Nats this season overall continue to not hit for enough power. The Nats through 30 games this season have a team slugging percentage of just 366. Uh, not a good series for Juan Soto. He was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter in each of the three games. He in the series went just a two for 13 with two singles and one walk. Uh, Nelson Cruz did finally homer over the weekend. Thank goodness for that. Cruz was an ad starting DH and number four batter in all three games in the series as he returned from a two-game absence caused by back stiffness. And Cruz on Saturday night homered. Uh, he went one for five with a two-run homer, his first homer of the season. I mean, think about that. The Nats are 30 games into their 2022 regular season, and Nelson Cruz has just one home run so far this year. But also for Cruz on Saturday night, he struck out four times. Uh, Cruz on Sunday, one for two with a single and two walks. Uh, he, in the top of the second, drew a leadoff seven-pitch walk, despite having been down at the count at one point, one-two. Cruz, in the top of the fourth, drew a leadoff four-pitch walk, and Cruz, in the Nats, two-run six, had a leadoff broken bat single up the middle on a one-two pitch. So the single and the two walks, each coming to lead off an inning. Uh, Josh Bell did have a pretty productive series. He was a Nats starting first baseman and number three batter in all three games in the series. Bell on Saturday night, two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Bell on Sunday, one for five with an RBI single. Uh, Bell in the Nats, one run seventh on Sunday, an RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-2 Nats lead. Alcides Escobar actually had a pretty good series. Uh, he and the series played in two games, went three for six with a triple, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. He was a Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter in games one and three. Uh, Escobar on Friday night, one for two with a triple and a walk. Escobar on Sunday, two for four with an RBI single and another single. And each of the singles for Escobar on Sunday was your like prototypical 2021 All-CDs Escobar hit. Down in the count, two-strike count, figuring out a way to turn the plate appearance into a productive one. Uh, Escobar in the Nats, one run third, a one-out opposite field single through the right side of the infield despite it having been down to the count at 1.12. And Escobar in the Nats, two run six, a two-out RBI single to center field for a 3 nothing Nats lead despite having been down to the count at 1.12. He overall has struggled this season, but I did want to at least highlight a positive weekend for all CDs Escobar. Uh, also, we had some non-game Nats news on Sunday. The Baby Shark is retiring. Uh, we on Sunday afternoon learned that Gerardo Parra is retiring and joining the Nats front office as a special assistant. Uh, now, you may recall Gerardo Parra was with the Nats during spring training. He did not make the Nats major league team out of spring training, and he ultimately opted not to report it to AAA Rochester. So the Gerardo Parra story with the Nats is interesting. He first signed with the Nats in May 2019. Uh, the Nats signed Parra off him having been designated for assignment by the San Francisco Giants earlier that month. Parra with the Giants offensively had been brutal, and he looked like a guy whose career was fading away. Well, what ended up happening is Parra revitalized his career with the Nats. And this is part of an overall trend for the Nats in recent years of getting veterans who appear to be done 
and then breathing new life into those veterans, whether you're talking about Gerardo Parra or Isdrubal Cabrera or Josh Harrison or Alcides Escobar. The Nats have had a knack for taking veterans discarded by other major league teams and getting production out of those guys. And, you know, Gerardo Parra, so people hear that name, right? They say, okay, baby shark. Okay, fine. But Gerardo Parra was a lot more than just the baby shark gimmick. Gerardo Porro was a key bench player for the Nats down the stretch of that 2019 regular season. Porra in the 2019 regular season with the Nats slugged 447 over 204 regular season plate appearances. Take a listen to these numbers for Porra in the 2019 regular season with the Nats with runners in scoring position. You ready for this? Batting average of 373 on base percentage of 421, slugging percentage of 824. Pora in the 2019 regular season with the bases loaded was outstanding. He hit two grand slams in the 2019 regular season. Didn't play much in that 2019 postseason run to the World Series championship, but that's not the point. You could argue the Nats wouldn't have made the 2019 postseason if not for Gerardo Parra doing it as he did down the stretch. And of course, there was the baby shark craze at Nationals Park, in addition to the Nats' great post-home run dugout dancing, which is something that Gerardo Parra started. Now, he was back with the Nats last season for a second stint with the team. The Nats in February 2021 brought back Parra on a minor league contract off him having spent the 2020 season playing in Japan and having undergone right knee surgery in the fall of 2021. And Gerardo Porra made his 2021 Nats regular season Major League debut in a 5-2 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park last June 20th. And he amazingly delivered. This was one of the big moments for the Nats last season. I know that's not saying a lot, but Porra in his very first plate appearance laced a pinch one-out opposite field double into the left field corner in a two-run Nats seventh to drive the Mets starting pitcher in the game, Taiwan Walker, out of the game. And Nationals Park erupted in a manner in which the stadium had not since the 2019 World Series. So look, Gerardo Parra, I know that not everyone was in love with the baby shark thing. I didn't completely love the baby shark thing. But the point here is this. Gerardo Parra wasn't just the baby shark gimmick. He was a legitimately productive player for the Nats. He was a legitimate key player for the Nats down the stretch in the 2019 regular season. Uh, Very good work by Gerardo Parra as a Nat, and he, for a lot of reasons, is someone who Nats fans are never going to forget. No game for the Nats on Monday. Uh, Next up for them is a six-game homestand against two of the best teams in the majors so far this season. A three-game series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park, followed by a three-game series against the Houston Astros at Nationals Park. And the Astros, of course, have as their manager, former Nats manager, Dusty Baker. Well, we had a mess of a weekend for the Orioles from a scheduling standpoint. Three-game series with the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night's game rained out. Saturday night's game rained out. And so we on Sunday had a doubleheader. Uh, The result was a split. The O's on Sunday afternoon lost game one, 6-4. But the O's later on Sunday won game two, 4-2. Meaning, Joe Angel, that the O's were, yes, in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. 
Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's this season now are 11 and 17. More good starting pitching for the O's on Sunday. Jordan Lyles in game one was good. Bruce Zimmerman in game two was good. Uh, Lyles in the 6-4 loss to the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader split allowed four runs, two earned in seven and a third innings. Uh, he did give up seven hits, but six of them were singles, and the other hit was a double. Uh, Lyles had five strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 59 strikes versus 31 balls on 90 pitches. He over six starts this season now has an ERA of 4.05. Uh, Lyles has been really bad in two of the starts, but he actually has been pretty good in the other four starts, including now his last two starts. Uh, Lyles in the 9-5 win over the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on May 1st allowed one run in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, the O's on March 12th officially announced the signing of Jordan Lyles as a free agent. One-year contract with a club option for 2023. The O's are Lyle's seventh major league team. He struggled over the last two seasons pitching for the Texas Rangers. Lyle's over the 2020 and 2021 seasons had an ERA of 560, uh, but he has been much better this season in what is his age 31 season. And then Bruce Zimmerman on Sunday in game two was good. Zimmerman in the 4-2 win over the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday in game two of the doubleheader split allowed two runs in six innings. Uh, he had five strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up five hits, uh, three of which were extra base hits, a triple and two doubles, but he gave up uh, two singles as the other two hits. And here's the deal with Bruce Zimmerman. Six starts this season. He has an ERA of 267. And he has a strikeouts per nine innings of 8.9, 30 strikeouts over 30 and a third innings. Now, six starts, 30 and a third innings. He's not lasting super deep into games. That's true. But a 267 ERA, uh, you take that and you run with that if you're a fan of the Yos, who, of course, have been starving for good starting pitching for decades. Uh, this season is Bruce Zimmerman's age 27 season. The O's got Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman and reliever Darren O'Day to the Braves. Zimmerman actually began the Orioles' 2021 season as their number three starter, but he struggled and missed a sizable chunk of the season due to injury. Uh, also for the O's in the doubleheader split with the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday. Big day for Austin Hayes. Man, is this guy hitting so far this season. Hayes in game one as the Orioles starting left fielder, a number four batter, got on base five times. He had four singles in the walk. Hayes in game two as the Orioles starting left fielder and number three batter had a double and a walk. Uh, Austin Hayes now this season has a batting average of 317 has an on-base percentage of 391 and has a slugging percentage of 485. You know, the book on Austin Hayes had been really good fielder, mediocre batter at best. Well, so far this season, he has been a really good batter. Uh, in fact, to me, he has been the Orioles' best batter so far this season. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Sunday evening on Austin Hayes. Well, He's, when he swings at strikes, like I've said a lot, he hits the ball hard, <laughs> and and right now he's um, I feel like he's a little bit more patient. He's getting he's getting in good counts. He's taking some walks, um, but he's just not trying to do too much. When Austin doesn't try to do too much, he's extremely dangerous because he's got he hits the ball so hard. He's got so much power to both sides of the field. Um, just a, he can be a good hitter, and that's what I see. It's just a little bit more in control in the batter's box right now.
And also for the O's in the doubleheader split with the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday, Ryan Mountcastle in game one as the Orioles starting first baseman and number five batter had an RBI double and three singles. Uh, he did commit a throwing error in the Royals two-run fifth. And Cedric Mullins in game one as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter had an RBI double and a single. Got to get these Orioles bats going. The starting pitching has been stunningly good. The Orioles offense really has been a problem. So got to get these guys moving here. Hopefully these Orioles bats uh, are starting to wake up here. Game three for the O's against the Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards will take place on Monday afternoon at 12.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 311. We'll feature plenty on the Commanders. I will post game game four for the Capitals in their first round series against the Florida Panthers. Game four at Capital One Arena Monday night at seven with the Caps looking for a 3-1 series lead. And I'll talk Orioles. Game three for the O's against the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards will be on Monday afternoon at 12.05. Have a great rest of your Monday and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I think... You know, with our whole secondary here and working, unlike last year, um, which was a problem, you know, uh, some of it showed during the course of the year. I was disappointed last year when we did not have full participation. I thought it contributed to us having a poor year.